Hello, this is Disturbed Minds, and I'm your host, Maddie Day. Before we get into the story, I need to let you know that this is a true crime podcast, so some content may be difficult to hear or may be triggering for some listeners. Any especially disturbing stories will have further disclaimers. I am no expert, I am just fascinated by the darker side of humanity, and I enjoy discussing it with friends. I never intend to glamorize these perpetrators or their crimes, only to honor the victims and their memories. stole it from another podcast from the podcast small town dicks which has like it's really good the main three hosts the one is the voice of lisa simpson yeah and then twin brother detectives that she's friends with and they have guys so this story the guy who investigated actually told it which is really cool that's what they do they always have those um so i think the police officer investigated yeah like the guy who was assigned the case uh, told the story. Yeah, okay. Cool. So it's like first person experience, awesome. like him and yeah, is kind of sensitive material. It's not a murder, but there's like some child abuse and sexual okay. abuse. So a little trigger warning. So it starts when they're in grade eight. She moves to town with her dad, and they're in the same class, and they f- realize they're next door neighbors, so they start hanging out a lot. But then within a month, she disappears. She stops coming to school. And Gabriel kind of looks and he can tell the dad still lives there, but it looks like maybe she doesn't. So maybe she moved to live with her mom or something. So that's what he assumes. Like years later. So sorry, the cats are like killing each other. I don't know if you heard that, but it was bad. Anyways, (laughs) so grade eight. So they're like 13, 14. So later when he's like 16, 17, he's homesick from school and he's just looking outside and sees someone walking around the house, like her dad's house. And he looks in the driveway. Dad's car's gone. Like, he's always gone all day, leaves pretty early. So he's like, okay, like, what the fuck's going on? Like, did somebody break into the house? So he kind of sneaks over to take a look to see what's going on. And it's her. So he, like, goes and knocks on the window. But she just, like, looks, she just freezes terrified And he's like, oh, no, it's me. Remember me? And she just doesn't engage. So he leaves. And then he, like, becomes determined to find out what's going on because she went to school for a month and then just disappeared. So clearly something's up. 
So he goes back a few days later and she this time will talk to him and he's like, hey, like it's been a while. Do you have Facebook? We should catch up. Like I'll add you on Facebook, whatever. And she says like she doesn't have Facebook, Instagram, anything. I'm not sure what year this happened, but she doesn't have any social media. She doesn't have a cell phone and she's not allowed to leave the house. And she says like sometimes she goes to the store with her dad to get groceries and shit, but that's it. And she's not allowed to leave on her own or anything. Did they go to school together? So they went to school together for grade eight for a month, and then she just stopped showing up. But she had she was new to the area, new to a school. Yeah. So she showed up for, like, a month in grade eight, and that was it. So I guess my question would be is, like, do you not think the school would, like, investigate that a little bit, you know? Because, like, you know if a student leaves for a month, you like, I don't know, like, regarding right. like our high school someone would check in you know yeah well I'm not sure um they don't give location they don't so these are fake names partly because they were minors and they also just do that yeah um so I also don't know what state it happened in so I don't know right. what the dropout age is there okay so this wasn't Canadian then no it's American yeah don't know where exactly I think it was south-ish like, I think it was one of the warmer states, but I don't know for sure, because they don't say. Because they don't okay. want anything to happen with the victims and stuff. Like, they only ever disclose names if it's a famous case. So, yeah, I guess the school never followed up or anything. Um, they don't really talk about that. Maybe he might have said, her dad might have said um, he was homeschooling her or something. Like, I don't know. Or she went to live with her mom. Like, if they just said the school, oh, she, she just went to live with her mom, they're not going to investigate. They're just going to, okay, move on. You know? It's not like our small town where everyone knows everyone so if someone's kid doesn't show up it's like a teacher's nephew so they're gonna really look into it but yeah so over some time he starts to visit her more often because he'll get home from school before her dad gets home from work and such so eventually she starts to trust him and starts to tell him more like about the fact that she's not allowed to leave alone um, and only sometimes. She eventually told him her dad's basically holding her captive. She only leaves like once a month or two. She stays uh-huh. inside and he's been sexually assaulting her and physically assaulting her for like her entire life. Wow, yeah. Her only connections to the outside world are like these meetings they have, um, TV and her dad. After a while, and it was, like, a long process that it took for her to gain his trust um, Mm -hmm. and start telling him. And then eventually he kind of talks her into, like, you got to get out of here. This is not normal. This is not safe. You need to leave. So he tells his dad who he lives with, and then he has an aunt in another county. And he talks to them, and he says um, he has this friend who is having a rough time. Her parents are immigrants, and they got kicked out of the country but she was stuck here, so they left it to Mexico. So she's on her own, and he wants to help her out. So they're like, yeah, okay, aunt has extra bedroom. She says, sure, your friend can come stay with me until her parents come back, whatever. Yeah. They have it set this one time that um, while her dad's out, he's going to come get her, and they're going to go. So he goes, he knocks on the window, and he waits, and he waits, and he waits, and she doesn't show up. So he goes home and is like, fuck, okay, what happened? A couple days later, she go. he goes over, and she tells him that the night before the day they had planned, he found out, dad found out, and he tied her up to a chair and beat the crap out of her. Do you think he has security cameras in the home? Do you think that's how he found out? 
We'll get there. <laughs> she won't let Gabriel call the police. She says, no way, he'll kill me. Which, to be fair, is pretty accurate. The uh-huh. most dangerous time, statistically, for abuse victims is when they try to leave and when they try to get yes. help. So, eventually he talks her back into running away. And this time she does. They go to his aunt. She did have a phone, but it was just, like, a flip phone. And the only phone number was her dad's. So, she and she can't use the internet. Like, it's an old, original phone. She has one little game on it. So, she literally gets to play this little game and watch TV. And that was, like, all her entertainment she ever got. Mm-hmm. Um... She also eventually discloses to Gabriel that for years, the reason she was so afraid to tell anyone, because for years he's been telling her that if she tells anyone, he's going to kill them. And she's not really, like, obviously she's terrified, so she's going to believe what he says because she doesn't know any different. But once Detective Scott starts looking into this and everything, it seems plausible because her mother just kind of disappeared. Um, he says she died of some disease there, but there's no record of her having an illness or anything. They can't find anything about this woman. She's just doesn't exist anymore. And she doesn't remember, Victoria doesn't remember her mother, like past the age of three. So she has like one memory of her and that's it. So the whole time she's gone, he of course is texting and calling her trying to find out where she went because he's terrified because he's thinks he's going to get found out. Yeah. So she she ignores the text, she ignores the calls, but one night she looks at Gabriel and she says, you know, I, I want to call my dad. Yeah. And he's like, okay, well, and he, he sits with her the whole time yeah. for support. He's really great. Like, this this kid's so good with yeah, her. Yeah. yeah. So he sits with her to kind of listen in and try and help stop her from promising anything and of course as soon as she picks up the phone he's had a few weeks I think it was like three weeks in to her running away so he's had a few weeks to kind of decide um how he's gonna approach it if he hears from her again and how he's gonna convince her to come home so he of course plays the guilt card saying like how could you do this to me um your mom up in heaven would be so ashamed that you left your family shit like that And he says, I know you're with that boy. What did you tell that boy? Why are you with him? Do you love him? Did you leave me for him? And she's like, no, dad, I'm alone. I just, I just needed to get away. I'm not with anyone. And she she doesn't make any promises. She's just kind of like, no, dad, I'm fine. I'm alone. No one knows. I've told no one. I just needed a break. And I guess it works. The phone call ends eventually there. And after a about a month or so of living with the aunt, they go. He convinces her to go to the police station, and that's where Detective Scott comes involved. It actually yeah. starts. It's just like I think he said it was like early morning. He's just gotten to work, and then the secretary is kind of like, "This story these kids are telling me sounds fucking insane. I don't know if I should if we should believe it, but you definitely need to talk to them." So he takes them back. They're seventeen or eighteen years old, but she has the demeanor and behavior of, like, an 11, 10-year-old. So she seems... Yeah, she seems very young. Um, He has their victim's advocate sit with her while he talks to Gabriel first. Yeah. 
and Gabriel kind of tells him everything I've told you already. Um, and then he talks to Victoria, and he starts it off with, like, positive reinforcement, saying, like, wow, you have a really good friend, he seems like a really nice kid, I, I'm glad to hear you have such a good friend, it sounds like you've had a tough life, you know, and then he starts asking her about what she, what she likes, and she says since moving to the ants, she started getting into reading, she really likes Goosebumps books, and, they're old enough, he'd read them too when he was younger, so they're able to bond over that. So eventually he kind of is like, okay, so tell me what's going on. So she confirms everything Gabriel's told him. So at this point it's like, okay, this is like really what's going on. This is true. Because at first they're kind of like, yeah. this sounds absolutely crazy. Are these kids pulling our leg? But yeah, she had been in school, elementary school, but once she hit grade eight and she was older talking to kids starting to understand that this isn't a normal father-daughter relationship um so he pulled her out of school because he was afraid she was going to tell people and then he would have to kill them and this is when she said you know he told me all the time he killed people she also had tried to tell someone when she was eight years old she ran up to um it was like an ea monitoring the schoolyard and she, at recess, and she said, is it okay if my dad touches me? And the lady said, oh, don't start this, go play. So this really reinforced for her that she couldn't tell anyone, and he was right. No one would believe yeah. her, or she would be bad if she told people. Yeah. Um, and she also tells Detective Scott that the first time she remembers it happening, which is commonly what they'll do is they'll ask about the first time the worst time and the most recent um she remembers it starting when she was six yeah young so yeah not immediately after her mom died but pretty close um yeah so he's just a regular detective he's not actually properly trained to um interview children yeah okay so he contacts the local children's advocacy center and has someone interview her there. And she goes there for a while, and then they go back to the aunt's house at night. Um, but he has them come back in the next day. Because yeah. they're not in trouble, so they don't have to stay there. Um, so he convinces her to call her dad. Um, well, doesn't convince. He he asks, will you call her so I can hear, call him so I can hear, and we can get some evidence, because they can't just arrest him. Unfortunately, they can't just arrest him on what she says. Um, no, it has to be factual. Like, yeah. It is factual. It has to, you know, they need more in order to lay a charge and proceed with it, you know? Right, because otherwise it's just hearsay. They could interview him with just what she said, but he could say no to coming yeah. in. So she no, ca- for sure. So she calls him on the cell phone so he knows it's her calling, puts her on speakerphone. Um, before they went ahead with it, they kind of practiced what she would say, and Scott had a list of specific questions and, like, terms and stuff he needed her to fit into the conversation so he could get the evidence yeah. he needed. Yeah. Um, so they call, and he kind of... The father kind of goes back and forth between... Um, being incredibly aggressive and angry and then being accusational and then 
going, oh, I love you, I miss you so much. So he'll go, you fucking bitch, how dare you? And then, oh, I love you so much, I miss you so much. Um, I'm just, yeah. I'm just being mean because I miss you and I love you. Um, mm-hmm. so, and he again brings up, I know you're with him, I know you're with him. And she's like, who's him? I don't know what you're talking about. Like, I don't know anyone except for you. I'm not with anyone. I'm by myself. Yeah. Um, he says he's gonna get her uncle um, to get her a hotel room for a couple weeks, and he's gonna save money, and they're gonna run away to Mexico. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's like, I don't want to do that. Like, I don't want to come home to you. Um, and he's like, Why not? Why not? And she's like, Because of what you do to me, like because you have sex with me. I don't want. I don't like it. I don't want you to do that. Um, yeah. And he, of course, pulls the. Well, I didn't know you didn't like it. He's like, yeah. she, he's like, well, you never really said no. How would I know? And she's Disgusting. like, she's like, dad, like, you've been doing it since I was six. How would I know different? Like, yeah, I, that's... you've normalized it for me. How am I supposed to know that this isn't what everyone else did? And you tell me you kill people well, and you're not afraid to. Yeah, especially if she's, like, not familiar with the outside world, right? Because she was, like, so closed in within her personal home. Like, that's normal to her. Like, if she was to at school socializing with other classmates, um, like, she would have, like, she would just know. Like, you know, like, conversations mm-hmm. would come up like that. Like, she'd probably be like, oh, yeah, that isn't normal. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, there's a reason he never let her go to friends' houses or anything. Or really make yeah. friends. Because then she would go to friends' houses and see their relationships with their parents are very different. And hers isn't normal. And that's why he pulled yeah. her out of school at 14. Because teenagers start talking about sex and start experimenting and she would quickly find yeah. out not everybody has sex with their dad um so she kind of with of course I don't want to say permission but Scott's aware she's going to make this promise to kind of incriminate him more um she says okay fine like I'll come home but you can't have sex with me anymore and he was like, no, 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 that's okay, I'll just kiss you on the lips like normal dads do. And she's like, no, what? No. Like, that's not fucking normal. Um, and he's like, well, you were always okay with it until we moved to the new house and you met that boy and going on and on. Um, she's like, no, there's nothing to do with the boy. Like, stop talking about this boy. I don't know what you're talking about. There's no boy. I'm just by myself. I just needed a break. I just needed alone time. Whatever. Um... So he's like, fine, you're going to come home. Like, I'll set you up with, I'll set you up at the hotel. Your uncle will set you up the hotel. Um, and then I'll come get you and then we'll go to Mexico. And she's like, sure, whatever. And she's like, dad, where even are you? Like, are you home? Where are you? And he's like, no, I'm like, I'm off at work. That's why you can't, I can't come get you. Cause I'm off in this town doing work. So then that's perfect right away. They can find him. Um, mm-hmm. So they do an emergency ping because he's got more than enough evidence for that. Because um, he's clearly, he's obviously a danger to society and a flight risk because he's talking about running away to Mexico. Um, so yeah. they're able to ping a tower within four meters of where he is. So what neighborhood he's oh. in. Well, yeah. what house he's in. Um, so Scott calls calls up this part of his squad that kind of handles this stuff. And they, um, they're a couple hours, like, where 
he, Scott and Victoria and Gabriel right now are a couple hours away, but the people he calls to go arrest the dad, um, are like 10 minutes away in the next town over doing something unrelated, so it's perfect, they can go get him right away. Um. Shit, I was gonna say something else. (laughs) (laughs) Um. So they're able to find him, get all that, so they go. Um, they go, they get him into custody, and then they get a warrant to search the property. Yeah. So when they're looking through the house, guess what they find? Camera. A nanny cam. Yeah. Was lo- it stuck there? Yep. <laughs> they're looking through her room. And it's literally, she just has, like, a nasty mattress on the floor. There's, like, nothing in her room. She doesn't even have a dresser. She has baskets of her clothes and stuff. And then there's just this teddy bear sitting up in the corner. So one senior officer is like, um, can anyone guess why that's there? And then they find ropes and bondage straps and stuff as well um the house is disgusting it looked like it had never been cleaned there was no next to no food there was just like mr noodles ramen noodles and shit like that that you can't you can't live off that shit but they were um they also find a little hole in her wall um he was a he was a um what do they call those? Um, not like a peeping tom, but there's actual like a voyaging. Or yeah, something like that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um. In my brain right now. Yeah. So they think either that, or he had put a camera through it. So either he was yeah. watching her through it, or like with his eye or with a camera. Um, and they. They see there's, like, cables nearby connected to his TV that kind of go towards the wall. So they think maybe he put a camera there and then it was just on his TV so he could watch her all the time. Yeah. And she had no idea about the camera. She didn't know about the thing. Because she... And that's how he knew about Gabriel. Because yeah. the window that Gabriel always came to was right in sight. Because she only ever was in that room unless she had to go to the bathroom. She was only yeah. allowed in that room. So... Yeah. Of course, they, the interview with Dad does not go well. Um, and Scott says, Detective Scott says, he is so tense and his presence is so, just his presence is so aggressive that he mm-hmm. made sure there wasn't even a pen in sight because he was really, like, concerned this guy might try to stab him. Because from when he heard the claims of um, the dads that he kills people, didn't seem too far off. Yeah, for sure. Because um, they asked him that in um, in small town dicks. Yardley asked him, "Do like did you think he might have?" And he said, "Yeah, it seemed plausible." Um, he also on the phone call. I forgot to mention this on the phone call um, where she had him on speakerphone. He when he was talking about running away to Mexico with her, he had made a comment like. Um, we're going to go, but we're going to have to kill that boy. So we're going to 
I'm going to come get you. We're going to find him and kill him because I know as soon as I get you, he's going to tell the police and then we'll run away to Mexico. So he not only incriminated the assaults, physical and sexual assaults, the captivity, but he also talks about killing someone on the phone call. So that's another thing they've got on him. Yeah. Plotting. Um, yeah. Yep. Um, so I don't know if you're going to get to this, but was he actually like, was he found guilty in the court? Yes. Okay. Do you get to that? Eventually? Yes, yes. Yeah, I do. Okay. Um, I do. Okay. So, sorry, I lost my spot. So, in the preliminary hearing, um, mm-hmm. so, Victoria and Gabriel are both witnesses, of course. Um, she's on the stand, and she faints. And Scott's yeah. there, and there's all kinds of commotion. People are leaving. They're rushing people out. Um, so Scott runs up to help her, and then all of a sudden Gabriel's beside him. He wasn't even in the courtroom. He was in a different room being held, but he saw people rushing out and being pushed out, so he knew something was going on, so he ran in to help her. Aww. He's that good of a friend. This boy is such a good friend. Yeah. Um... So she goes to the hospital, she gets cleared, um, it's just a stress faint, you're fine. She sends back, and she actually goes right back to the afternoon session of court. She goes right back, she's like, that's it, I am done, let's do this. Um, he doesn't, Scott kind of talks about what the dad's defense attorney asked her, but he doesn't, like, say what, because it was that bad, um... Because they're, they're limited to what they say can ask in front of the jury, but in the preliminary hearing, they're not. So he asks all kinds of inappropriate, disgusting things. Like, this girl might be 17 or 18, but intellectually, she's 10. Um, yeah. And that, and Scott said he actually thought it was very unethical and that those questions shouldn't be allowed. So it had to be pretty friggin' bad. Yeah. So my question is... This is what I'm wondering. So in Canada, I know we have a defense that is um, not criminally responsible. So that means, like, in a court verdict, um, a person that has committed an illegal act, um, they can claim that they're um, not criminally responsible due to a mental illness. Right. So he... Um, he I wonder yes. if he played that. So he doesn't. Um, he might have tried to and was advised not to, because I've also learned about that in school, and he, it would have been disproved pretty quickly, because he showed, he was, um, like, when that happens, you kill someone because of psychotic break, and then you walk around in the bloody clothes and you don't know what's going on, but he, Mm -hmm. there was proof of him trying to cover up his crimes, by yeah. not letting her go to school, not letting her have friends. If it was uh, because of a mental defect, he, or mental illness, sorry, um, he wouldn't have known to hide it. So, I don't know if he, he might have said, well, why don't we do this to, our de- to his defense attorney? And they would have said no, like, they'll disprove it immediately, because this has been going on for years, whereas those are usually for a single instance. Yeah, um, it would just be um, if he, like, did, like, if it, he did play that card, if it would have played out differently. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, who knows? But Yeah. 
Um, he didn't, which is good. Mm-hmm. But okay. so they go through the whole process of jury selection, the process of yeah. setting a date, and they've subpoenaed witnesses, and then he decides he's going to take yeah. a plea deal. I mean, it's... Because I know I'm, the courts don't move fast mm-hmm. and usually try um prolong more than they have to. You know what I mean? So, like, at the same time, it's it's good for her that he kind of did take a plea deal, but not at the same time. You know what I mean? For, like... Because it's, it's very hard on the witness or the victim to prolong a trial like that because you pretty much have to relive the experience, right? Yeah, it's definitely... I think as the actual events that happened, you know? Mm-hmm. It's definitely good um, that he did take a plea and they didn't have to go to trial for sure. Um, Depending on the plea. Yeah, and what, what pissed everyone off the most is that the fact they, they'd done the preliminary hearing um, they, cause they wouldn't have if he had taken a plea deal from the get go. Um, but mm-hmm. he was refusing to plead guilty and yep. they went as far as subpoena, sub, whatevering, calling the witnesses, <laughs> um, yep. selecting a jury, setting, um, a time. So all these people were prepared to go to court and then he goes, never mind. Mm-hmm. Um, so this kind of Scott kind of said this is another way of him trying to control the situation till the last possible minute. So what was his plea deal? There wasn't one. The DA was like, "Um, there's no fucking plea deal. We never gave you a plea deal. There's n- we don't have a fucking plea deal. Sorry, mm-hmm. but no. Like you've gone this far. We never offered you one. We've never discussed one. You yeah. so like they hadn't even considered one because he refused to um, plead guilty. So okay. instead, what he does is he pleads open to the court. For the jury decides. Is that what it is? No, the judge. So there's no jury. So it's kind of, it's kind of like a trial by judge, basically. Like highway kind of deal. Yeah. Um, so they basically, they basically go through the trial process. Um, yeah. They he hears both sides. I'm not sure if they did call witnesses. I think they did. Um, still call witnesses to prove their points, of course. Um, so typically when this happens, the judge will pick kind of in between. So the defense will say, "Well, we think the minimum." The yeah, and they bicker back and forth. Yeah, and then the judge usually goes in the middle when the um defendant pleads open to the court um but the judge went with max so he was being charged with um 21 different offenses um assault of a minor um kidnapping whatever all kinds of stuff they were able to do 21 different counts he got charged with the max for every single charge, which totaled to, guess how long? Oh gosh, that would probably be, like, a ridiculous number, because usually it's, like, life, but, like, no one lives for, like, 330 years, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, he was sentenced to 225 years in state prison. Well, I was up there, I was good, okay. I was, 
was pretty. I would, I'll I'll give myself that. I was close. <laughs> you were close. Your three three thirty is like basically two twenty because it's like numbers repeated, right? <laughs> but like, um, was he given the death sentence? No. So I still, I, they still do that. It depends on the state. Right, because the U.S. is yeah okay. Yeah, so it's by state, and I believe this state did not have the death penalty. Because I think only, like, less than half still have it, and a lot that yeah. still have it never actually execute. Because there's so many people that are on the death, like, registry that they never get to it. Mm-hmm. I was reading, I forget where I was reading that. Yeah, and, like, so many people in the states where it is available, sometimes they will, like, in extreme cases and not in others. Mm-hmm. So these people are, they're almost suffering more by never being executed because they have to live their entire prison sentence not only alone but constantly wondering are they going to kill me when are they going to do it cuz they don't always give a lot of notice sometimes they'll give like a couple days notice before execution so these people live last meal requests those are always my favorite last meal requests yeah there was some serial killer got like a peanut butter and jam sandwich Oh, yeah. Like, sometimes it's... And somebody... There was one guy who just got, like, coffee or tea. I know. I was like, I would get, like, a double Big Mac meal, some steak, like... Yeah, go all out, get, like, steak and lobster and a big dessert. I know. Um, They can't get alcohol, though. They're not allowed to request alcohol. They can request cigarettes, though, (laughs) with their last meal. Um, so, um, he also doesn't address the court, because there's always an option for the defendant, um, and the pro- and the victim yeah. to address. He doesn't. He says nothing. Yeah. Um, she doesn't either, but the aunt she's staying with and the, um, victim's advocate who she's been working with both speak on her behalf. Um, so her statement is kind of gets out there, but Uh yeah. So, um, that's it for the story. I have some like victim, victimology stuff. Um, but I have to pee, so we're going to pause. Okay. Okay. So, um, we obviously already talked a little bit about, um, how she didn't really know any different. Um, And I don't know, like, for sure, since it's from the detective's perspective, if people said stuff like, why didn't she run away sooner and stuff, or why didn't she tell someone sooner? But as I said before, she tried to tell someone, and they told her to go away. So... It's for people to... And, like, I'm not a perfect human being. I've done this, too. It's very easy for people to be like, well, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? And it's like, well, as soon as you, like, are in that situation, you don't. You you don't know, you know? Yeah, you can predict how you'd react. Um, but once it happens, you never know. Just like you can say you're going to parent this way or that way, and then you have the kid, and it doesn't work out that way. Or... Yeah. I'm going to do this and this today, and then there's a car crash on your route, so you have to... Everything's different now. Yeah. Um, and she was so young. She was six. 
and it was just her and him. There was no one else in, like, no one else in the family. Um, and it, on average, um, and I got this stat from a different podcast from the Murder Squad with Paul Holes and Billy Jensen, and Paul Holes is the detective who caught the Golden State Killer, um, and he worked on the J.C. Dugard case, too. Okay. But he said, I believe it was him that said it, or a guest on their podcast, um, said it takes the average domestic violence victim seven attempts to leave. So they'll leave six times and come back, and then the seventh time they finally don't. Um, yeah, I that uh, stat from somewhere, too. Mm-hmm. Sounds real. And, like I said before, they're in the most danger when they leave. Because when the abuser has control of you, then, obviously, they're they're violent. But once they don't feel they have control over you, they might kill you just to keep it secret. And that happens. All the time. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and part of it, too, was, like... He would come home and know exactly what she watched on TV, exactly what she did because of that nanny cam that she didn't know about. So it really attacked her psyche that he knew everything she did. Um, uh-huh. And they moved periodically, of course, to also prevent her from yep. making friends. Yeah. Um, and the talking about <laughs> killing people all the time and... She had no one until Gabriel knocked on her window and kept coming back. She didn't have anyone to tell. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, that's about all I have. But I wanted to... Obviously, this one is awful. But I wanted to talk about it because of how resilient she is. Um, For sure. As far as he knows. Now, I'm not sure what year this happened. I think it was kind of recent, like in the last five years. Um, Scott said as far as he knows, she's doing fairly well. Um, Last he heard, she was still living with the aunt, with Gabriel's aunt. They developed a really good relationship, so that's great. Um, I mean, yeah, she seems to be doing okay, as far as I know. Um would be pretty inspirational if she became, like, an advocacy uh, yeah. speaker, you know? She might. Lots of people do. Um, she well, might not. she was that young. Yeah. You know, it's time. Yeah, sometimes it takes time. Like, sometimes she could be 30 or 40 before she's ready to talk about it. Yeah, for it, sure. It wasn't like it was just one event. It was so, it was like 10 years or longer. Because I'm yeah. not sure. Because they don't know exactly how old she was when it started. She guessed six. And she was about 17 or 18 when she went to Scott. So it was at least 10 years this was going on. And mm-hmm. it was just her and him for longer than that. Yeah, for sure. And they had been in the um, the same city the entire time. But they would move neighborhoods so she would move schools. So she couldn't get too attached to anyone. Yeah. Um, and she never really had, she never had contact with any other family. She didn't know anyone else in her family. Except the uncle Mm -hmm. that he mentioned was going to put her up in a hotel. I guess she knew that uncle then. What's going on then? I mean, not a great contact to have, you know? 
Yeah. But she got out alive. She's okay. Yep. Yeah. So I think he and could the um investigator as well on the case and everyone that played a big role in that. Yeah, um he said it was definitely one of the hardest cases ever. Um but it kind of has a happy ending, I guess, because she, he's never getting out of prison ever. Um, and she's safe. She's doing a lot better. She's, um, I think he said, last he talked to her, she was working towards her GED. Good. So trying to get her education so she can get out there and have a life. Good. You know. Yeah, that's good. Hmm. So, do you huh? do you have any more questions about the case? No questions. I think I pretty much you answered everything that I want to know with the case, anyways. Because when you talk about it, questions come up. You know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and that's really. I got this all from listening to the podcast, so. I pretty much wrote down every single thing. <laughs> so. Every time consuming. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it was like an hour long, but I was pausing every two minutes to write stuff, so it took longer. I the podcast, I'll name some of the ones that I've been um, listening to. Just give me two seconds here. Yeah. Um, so, I'm listening to Crime Beat. Um, that's by Global News. Okay. Super good. Um, CBC has a really good podcast. Um, Which it's one? It's called Someone Knows Something. I listen to that one, too. Uh, someone knows something. Oh, so good. And then um, a new one here, too. It's called 13 Hours Inside the Nova Scotia Massacre. Oh. Mm-hmm. So you should have a listen to that one. Yeah, I listened yeah, to no. um, Someone Knows Something. And there was, like, I think it was the first season. It was, like, near us. Yeah, hands down. I think that was my favorite. Yeah. So far. I haven't listened to really... the newest season. Okay. Do it. But I, I usually when I listen to podcasts. <laughs> when you what? Work out. Yeah. Um, I do when I'm doing skip. Yes, driving, yeah. Yes, driving everywhere. I did like driving to and from practice and stuff, but obviously that's not happening right now. Um and yeah. like if I go to visit yeah. my mom or Ellen. Yeah, when I did trips to Sault Ste. Marie visiting um, my partner, I did that. eight hours. Well, usually it'd be nine to ten hours driving. Ooh. And I would do straight podcasts. <laughs> Help me get through it. I have like eight on the go right now. One of them that I listen to that's Canadian, it's called Dark Poutine. They did a really good episode yeah. on the Nova Scotia massacre. Mass- they have like a Facebook group and um, one of the women in it it was actually from the community it happened in, so they interviewed her, and she gave some really cool insight, and, like, it was so, such a small town that her and her three children each knew someone different who was directly impacted. Wow. So, like, yeah, a friend, awesome. a friend's mom, an aunt, like... Yeah. I'm listening to, obviously, Small Town Dicks, which I got this story from, Murder Squad, which I mentioned, My Favorite Murder, which is the first one I listened to, um, Strictly Stalking is really good. It's really intense. It's literally just stalking stories. People talk about it because it's... Stalking isn't really taken very seriously. Yeah. 
And there's not, with the laws, there's not much people can do until they're hurt. Like, until they get attacked, the police can't do much. Yeah. Dark Poutine, as I mentioned, this is actually happening. It's really cool. It's really freaky. The episodes are short. They're, like, 15 to 30 minutes. But it's, like, episode one, what if your boyfriend lit himself on fire? Um, so it's, like, literally, like, people telling stories of that. What if you're an alcoholic at age nine is episode two. But they're not all that horrific. Like, one is a woman in her 90s talking about what it's like to be that old and know you could die anytime and her not being afraid of it because her partner's up in heaven waiting for her and stuff. So they're not all intense like that. Or what if you had your first kiss at 27? Like, that's not... um, I like what ifs. What ifs make you guess? Yeah. So they're all, like, all the episodes are called a what if. But it's, like, the person yeah. telling a story. The newest one I've been listening to is called And That's Why We Drink. Huh. And it's two friends. The one tells a ghost story, and then the other one tells a t- true crime story, and it's really good. I have more, but I'm not going to bother getting into all of them because there's so many. <laughs> Especially right now because Skip is, like, all I'm doing with my time. Yeah, for sure. I've been pretty busy with work, so. <laughs> yeah, what do they have you doing these days? Um, well, since COVID, right, I'm working from home, so I'm just doing, like, procuring information, um, sorry, products, like, uh, just stuff that they need, so I'm just getting quotes for everything, so that's what I can do from home, at least, for my job now, so. So it's, like, getting quotes of, like, how much stuff's gonna cost? Yeah, yeah, so it's stuff I can at least do at home, because a lot of my job I can do at home, you know? Yeah. How long have you been... Working for the RCMP now. So, I started when I was a student in 2018, because I have a federal student work experience program, um, and I applied for that, and yeah, I've been, that's when I was a student, I started, and then they got, kept on getting contracts and Mm. stuff, and then they bridged me into full-time. So, like, two years now? Two and a half? Yep, two and a half. It it feels not that long, but yeah, (laughs) it has That's exciting, though. I'm just getting old. That's all. <laughs> what do you have to tell me about? Okay, okay, okay. okay. It'll be kind of a lot shorter than yours. That's it looks okay. to be like a little blip. So, gosh, this was so long ago. So, they named it The Devil's Visits Drummond Township. And they named it Kansas First Mass Mur- Murder. Oh. So, it happened. I know, interesting, eh? And, like, a little small town, Perth, you know, where we grew up. <laughs> so, it was in December 10th, 1828. So, I, I kind of wanted to cover, like, an older case, because a lot of the cases don't get covered. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And it's just so... I, I find them interesting to read, because on the news now, you just hear murders left, right, and center. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, so, let me just... I just have a little brief... Just let me find it. I'll just read the little intro that it has here. So, about at about 3 a.m. on the cold morning of Wednesday, December 10th, 1828, uh, John Toulis, who lived with his wife Margaret and their eight children on a farm in Drummond, <laughs> about a mile north of the village of Balderson. So, you and I would know this, yes. where Balderson is. Yes. Best ice yes. cream. Uh, yep. <laughs> so, he was the neighbor of a Thomas S by, I think I'm saying that. I'm not too sure. It's E A S B Y. I have no and idea. <laughs> he's by S by whatever. 
Um, so the S-Buy cabin was on fire. Um, da, da, da. So um, obviously, like, uh, John Toulis, the neighbor that has, like, the eight kids, rushed over to the cabin and was like, you know, um, what's going on? And um, the S-Buy guy, John, I'm just going to call him S-Buy because the first name is pretty irrelevant. Um, they helped, he said he mastered the fire himself. What does that mean? I don't know. It's old terminology, you know, like 1828. Who knows? So, but like, do you know if he means like he took care of it or he started it? Yeah, so he started the fire himself. So like he was on trial, right, for killing his family, but like arson, it'd be arson now. So how many people were in the house that died? I believe there was five. The way I read this article, it was five. So, during the six months of, like, the trial, Espy, uh, spent in the Perth lockup, which he, <laughs> he got to eat his last meal, um, and they mounted the scaffold in mid-August for his, um, cause he was put to death. What was his last right meal? From, um, it doesn't say. It does not say, which I'm very surprised. Probably, like, stew or porridge. Probably, yeah, and it was right in the courthouse in Perth. Um, so what he was convicted for, he murdered his wife and children, and he was hanged right in front of the jail and courthouse. And his actual body has been buried at the English Church Cemetery, which is in Perth. Mm-hmm. Though he had told uh, the December 1828 inquest that the death of his family was an accident, arising from their straw mattress, catching a light from the fireplace. Um, so that was his story, was that... Right. Um their mattress caught on fire but he actually started himself when the inquest happened there was wounds that were found on the body that the coroner couldn't like like it didn't the wounds that were found on the body couldn't happen from a fire you know what i mean like there was gashes right a straw Um, mattress isn't gonna make you look like the shit's beating out of you yeah exactly and then he finally admitted that he killed them all with a huge club, and afterwards the straw in the shanty caught fire, which scorched the bodies. And his motive, he had no motive under the heavens for doing it, but that his mind for a month before he committed the deed, that the devil um, spurred him, and that he could not avoid it. That was his quote. And the fact is... The accused pleaded not guilty, but testified that he has been under the influence of the insanity at the time. So he would probably be able to use the not guilty by reason of not mental criminal. illness. Yeah, not criminally responsible. Yeah, yeah. So that was, uh, so yeah, he was put to death and he was buried in the cemetery there. Wow. I just thought that was interesting. It's a little short. Like, there's a lot of um, little write-ups about it, but this one was the most straightforward. It's like the old... Uh, words and everything from like 1828 yeah. <laughs> um oh, so, so the, the articles from them that you read yeah like a whole bunch of yeah that's cool so was he the last public hanging in perth mm, not that i'm aware of because oh. this was eight so by the time it happened it was 1829 when he was put to death oh so probably not <laughs> yeah probably near the beginning actually yeah and actually um you, do you know how there's, like, little footnotes and stuff, like, in um, articles and everything? Yeah. So, 
little footnote that says here, Perth Courier, which is what's still named today, I'm pretty sure, October 4th, 1895, the Thomas um, S. By murders in 1829, Fowlis Ever in Lanark County. Wow. <laughs> oh. So that was written 1895. I didn't know that newspaper was that old. Yeah, I know. It's cool, eh? Like, I had no idea. Interesting. So was the evidence... They just had the the gashes in his story changing, basically? Yeah, and literally um, oh, Thomas Tula. Right, the neighbor. The neighbor went over that morning because he saw, like, it was uh, on fire. Wow. And it was only the dad that survived, which was um, Evas. Right. Which is pretty fishy, because you'd think a parent who cared about his kids would try to save them. Yeah, exactly. Wouldn't worry about being safe, would just try to stay, save them instead. Yeah, and um, the SBI desk represents Canada's first mass murder. Wow. Which is, I know, eh? And it was in the Drummond Township. Well, and probably quite a few people have probably never heard of that. I know, yeah, because it's just so, like, it's just so, I don't know, like, we just don't. There's no news back then, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, it probably wasn't even the same... Like, it obviously wasn't the same community, because they just said the township. Yeah. Well, it's a fact, um, when I was reading here, too, it's, like, their neighbors... Like, when you when we think of neighbors, we think right next door. Like, these neighbors were, like, farms away. Yeah. <laughs> like, it literally says here, about a mile north wow. of this place. You know? Yeah. That, that's a neighbor. I tried looking up his name, too, and I, I had a really hard time, like, finding it. So, I don't know, because it kept on popping up his eBay. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> Anyways, that's what I got from it. It was really, it was a really hard read. So, the way I probably um, interpreted it was very, uh, not contrary to, I didn't do the case any justice. Let's just say that. Like, hard to but read because of the wording or because of the details? <sighs> the wording and the details at the same time, you know? Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, the article's written in the 1890s. It's going to be hard to interpret. Yeah, I thought that one was pretty cool. I didn't want to do, a, like, a recent one. Because yeah. I feel like everyone knows that, you know? Yeah. And the fact that um, hanging was still, you know, a thing in person. I honestly didn't know that. Yeah. Well, it must have been in the early days. I know. Weird. What year did you say that happened? 1828. So that was before Canada was even a country. Oh, well, there you go. Because Canada wasn't founded until 1867. Right. I should know this. We should know this history. I know, we should. <laughs> oh, God. Especially because so 2017 was 150 years. Oh, my God. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Fuck. Yeah, so, I know. Uh, I really don't remember anything from high school. I didn't really do much, so there's not much to remember. <laughs> Fair enough. I don't remember much of elementary school either. God, no, I don't remember anything. I barely remember last week, to be honest. I'm so bad at remembering stuff, I swear. Well, since I'm not, like, because I work weekends sometimes, um, I'm not in school yeah. or anything, I never know what day it is. I never know how much time has passed. I know, I know, I'm always like, yeah, what day is it? Oh my god, every day feels like a Saturday, but I'm working, but like, 
I know, I'm just driving food around. It's not very interesting. <laughs> Listening to podcasts. And it's not mentally challenging enough. No, and that's why I listen to podcasts, because music, just listening to music and just following Google Maps was like... Brain dead. Yeah, like I no brain power at all, so I listen, that's why I listen to podcasts. No, I know what you mean, for sure. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Disturbed Minds. Please like and subscribe wherever you listen. And don't forget to follow the show on Instagram for show details, pictures, and more.